love hearing the pitter-patter of the little feet as they make their way back. Well, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, let me introduce myself. My name is Tyler Cash. I get to serve as uh, one of the pastors of uh, this body of believers that gather as the name Christ Covenant Fellowship. Uh, we're happy to have you here, happy to uh, just invite you into this time of worship uh, where we get to dedicate some uh, time of our week to uh, really looking at who our Savior Jesus Christ is. We've been in the book of John. Uh, we're going to continue uh, through this, uh, the gospel according to John for uh, the foreseeable future. Uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll make it to the end. And uh, today, uh, we're going to finish up the prologue of John's gospel. So we're in 15. I'm going to read 15 through 18 for us. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord uh, to help us and help me communicate uh, clearly this wonderful text. John 1, 15 reads this. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness, for your mercy, for your love demonstrated through Christ, for your love demonstrated through your word, that we, we have your, your written word, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, this word comes alive. It renews us, it rebukes us, it challenges us, corrects us, restores us. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that, that we get to gather. And Lord, for the, the truths that are in this passage, Lord, we, we plead for your help. We all walk in here with different levels of, of situations that have uh, brought their own kinds of distractions. There are those that are heavy, that are weary, heavy laden. There are those that are prideful, that are distracted from their own accomplishments. So Father, would you, would you ease our hearts? Would you focus our minds? Focus our attention? Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive in this moment. We need you. Father, would you help me to communicate clearly the truths found here? Father, would you help us to leave here, each and every one of us, different than we walked in? So, Father, we ask what we know not, would you teach us? And what we are not, would you make us? What we have not, would you give us by your grace, for your glory, in Christ's name, God's people said. So, as I mentioned, Today, we finish up the prologue of John's gospel. And a prologue is a kind of introductory section to a literary work. And in this prologue that we have been studying, the apostle John has presented some incredible affirmations about Jesus Christ, the one that this book is written about. Remember, this is the Apostle John's, his testimony, his, the way that he witnessed Jesus Christ's life and ministry on the earth. I want to do a quick survey of some critical affirmations of Jesus Christ in these 18 verses. This is uh, not exhaustive, uh, but I just want to go through these. Uh, if you have not been with us, uh, if you missed the last couple of weeks, I would really encourage you to go back uh, listen to these sermons, uh, anyone that you may have missed. They're on Spotify, they're on YouTube, but it's going to really help to put in per perspective 
uh, as we continue the journey. But uh, essentially, there is some critical affirmations that, uh, one, that Jesus Christ always existed with God. We also see that Jesus Christ is God. We also saw that Jesus Christ created everything. Saw that Jesus Christ is life and light. He has the power to overcome darkness. It said he is the greatest man to ever live. He has the possession of a specific people. We talked about that a couple weeks back. And then he came to dwell with those people. We saw that his people rejected him, but he still died for them. And then we saw that he has the power to save people and make them children of God. He, he holds that authority. We saw that he is glorious. We saw he is the only son of the Father. He is full of grace and truth. We'll see today he provides grace upon grace. He is full of grace. His fullness is that of grace. We will see today, too, he is greater than Moses. And we will finally see that he has made God known. Now, we could spend months or years even studying these 18 verses in this prologue and still fail to exhaust the richness that lies before us. See, John starts by taking us to the summit of who Jesus Christ is. And it's not so we then make our way down. It's not, well, well here he is, but, and then here's the rest of it. No. He wants us to clearly see the majesty of the person that this book is written about. See, John has presented us with the essential uh, need-to-knows. He's given us here this framework to, to which we need to look at the rest of this story. Uh, it's kind of like John's given us some uh, necessary presuppositions as we enter into this gospel. He wants his reader to, to really understand the life and ministry of this man, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And today, we look at how John closes out this section of Scripture. And we've got to take notice that John closes this part just as glorious as he started. He closes here with an extraordinary verse that makes a monumental claim. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, has made him God known. Basically, what he says here is that Jesus Christ has made God known. Now, not to get too far ahead here. But brothers and sisters, this answers some of life's essential questions. Who is God? Is God real? If God is real, then how do we know God? We'll get there in a moment. But essentially, the answer to these questions these questions, in fact, is indeed Jesus Christ. We see it in Christ. Verses 14 through 18 are really one section. Uh, but as I mentioned last week, uh, verse 14 demanded some attention, at least one sermon on its own. So today, we're going to look at verses 15 through 18. And I believe that 15, 16, and 17, are, they're very important. I think they're really leading us to this final climactic 
statement in verse 18 that Jesus Christ has indeed made God known. So I want to give us four affirmations of Jesus Christ as an outline for you to follow along. Number one, Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than the prophets. They were great. They did many great things, but Jesus Christ is indeed greater. Our second affirmation we're going to look at is Jesus is full of grace. It's full of grace. And remember what grace is, right? It's, it's getting what we don't deserve. It's receiving some, a spiritual blessing that we cannot and could not and did not earn in any way, shape, or form. Thirdly, we're going to see Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses was that guy in the Old Testament. Look at that here in a moment. Then finally, we will see Jesus makes God known. Jesus Christ has made God known. Let's look at verse 15 and look at this first affirmation here. Jesus is greater than the prophets. So, verse 15, let's look there. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So, here again, John the Baptist is mentioned as someone who bore witness to Jesus Christ. But there are some important aspects to verse 15 that we must pause and take note of. First, as you can see, uh, this passage is in parentheses. If you have an ESV, it is going to be in parentheses there. Most scholars would affirm that this is a planned parenthetical remark as it prepares the way for the detailed account of John the Baptist's ministry that we read about in verse 19, immediately following this prologue. So we, we get this prologue, and then in verse 19, next week, Pastor Brandon will, will teach, and he will show us John the Baptist in more detail. And it's important to take notice to what John the Apostle is capturing here. He quotes John the Baptist is saying that Jesus who came after him, or in other words, was born after him, is of higher significance or higher ranking because he was actually before him. Why is this important? Well, John the Baptist was born physically six months or so before Jesus Christ. Uh, in this time, age, the, the firstborn carried weight. It, it, it would, uh, those that were uh, older would have more respect, would have more prominence. Person's age and precedence carried great recognition and honor here. If you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, right? Who was supposed to get the blessing? The older, the, the eldest one. We, we know what happened. Uh, but being someone who was elder, someone's elder, was significantly important here. But here John the Baptist, he, he clears up any misunderstandings. And he says that even though Jesus arrived after me physically on this earth, he has always existed. He's always existed. So... Basically, John the Baptist says, so because I am affirming the preexistent Christ, I'm also affirming his preeminence, his glory, his greatness here. The words uh, cried out, if you look there, it says he cried out. Uh, essentially, what this means is that he spoke boldly and openly for everyone to hear. Boldly said this. He openly said this. And if you remember any of your Old Testament prophets, this was the way that they 
all spoke. Remember, John the Baptist was a prophet. He told the people about the Messiah that was coming. I just want to put some legs on this for us this morning. Brothers and sisters, this is too how we should speak of our Savior. We should speak openly. We should speak boldly of who we know Christ to be. The the prophets spoke with audacity, with great zeal to who Christ was. And it would behoove us to do the same. As we've been talking about this morning, as we often talk about, we, we know that the world around us is groping for answers. Groping for power, groping for influence, groping for something to fill the void to which they all know is there. And guess what? Christian, brother or sister, you have the answer. And it's Jesus. See, the the prophets, John the Baptist, they, hey, it's Jesus. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. There's a boldness here. And listen, we we should have more audacity because guess what? We know more than they did. We know what has happened. We know the final result. We've seen the end of what they were prophesying. We know that Christ has come. He's accomplished what he came to accomplish. He's redeemed a people. He conquered death, conquered sin, was affirmed by God the Father when he rose again from the grave, and then welcomed back to heaven, ascended, And he's seated now where? The right hand of God the Father. Mediating, advocating for his people. And guess what? That good news is still available to all who will repent and believe in him today. And tomorrow. And until he returns again. So we have no excuse We have no reason to to, to hold this good news in. Fear of what? Fear of man? Fear of opposition, oppression? As Pastor Brandon lovingly reminded us that our God is working all things together for the good of those who are his. And I believe that. Here in verse 15, right, we're reminded once again that John the Baptist's purpose, his mission, his life was dedicated to exalting the glory and greatness of Jesus Christ, who is emphatically greater than all of the prophets combined. Amen? Secondly, we see here Jesus is full of grace. He's full of grace. Look at verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Look back up at verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Remember there, John described Jesus as full of grace and truth. We talked about how Jesus was fully graceful, gracious, just fullness of grace, and fully truthful. And that was not a contradiction. You can't have grace without truth. You can't have truth without grace. They work together. We must be people of Grace and truth, very important. 
Jesus isn't sometimes truthful and then like sometimes graceful. There is in fact no grace without truth, no truth without grace. Uh, in, in fact, it's, it's very uh, peculiar here, and scholars, uh, they go back and forth while, while the, the, the theme of grace is uh, definitely uh, in, intertwined and included in John's gospel, he actually never uses the word grace again. The word truth, or some form of the word truth, is used over 55 more times. So this should cause us to to really think about the importance of the truth of our Savior. The truth found in God's Word. John makes it very clear that truth is important. But here, in this passage, John chooses to focus on the grace of our Savior. He, he focuses in on, he, he kind of double clicks here and says, hey, we're going to really look at the grace of Jesus Christ. And he uses this phrase, grace upon grace. The phrase grace upon grace means something like accumulated or abundant grace. The words of J.C. Ryle speaking of this passage, he says, this, I quote, the meaning is grace in the place of grace. Constant, fresh, abundant supplies of new grace to take the place of old grace and therefore unfailing, abundant grace continually filling up and supplying all our needs, end quote. And look who receives this grace. What does he say here? He says all. This tells us that to those who all did receive him, who believed in his name. Remember we looked at verse 12 a couple weeks ago. What did Jesus do? He gave them the right to become children of God. So every single person who has believed in the name of Christ is now recipient of this grace. And this is the type of grace that is full, is never ending. It never stops. I've been full many times in my, in my life, right? And it's usually from overeating. There have been times where I've been full of anger. I've been full of sadness. There's been times I've been full of joy. I remember watching my, my wife on our wedding day coming uh, down the aisle, and I was so full of joy that all I could do was cry, right, like a baby. I mean, weeping, like ugly crying, because I was so full of joy, excited about the life to come, and wondering, like, why is she marrying me? That's a whole other story. I definitely... Uh, I, I married up. I'll admit that very quick. But if I'm honest, right, I know I've never been full of grace. There's been times where I've demonstrated grace. There's been times that I have given grace, but, and I pray that I continue to grow in that. But I've never been full of grace. None of us have. But John says here that our Savior, Jesus Christ, the God-man, is full of grace. So much that it continually overflows to give us exactly what we need. See, many people think of grace as a one-time event, right, that happens like at your conversion and in your moment of salvation, we are saved by God's grace. Yes, we are. Yes and amen. That's the only way we are saved. But let me encourage you, remind you that grace is something we need each and every day. Every day. We never outgrow 
our need for grace. Peter reminds in his uh, writings in 2 Peter, he says to his reader, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But grow. Christian, don't forget this. Don't forget your need to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ each and every day. And as you remember that foundational truth, it will enable you to extend grace to others because you remember that, guess what? You don't deserve the grace that you've been given. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we engage with our spouses, our children, our co-workers, our angry boss who's always getting on our nerves changes the way that we deal with the world around us. Charles Spurgeon is once quoted as saying, between here and heaven, every minute that the Christian lives will be a minute of, guess what, grace. Every minute. Every millisecond. Praise God. We have a Savior who holds us by His grace. Amen? Here John reminds us that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is fullness. He's grace upon grace. John is also teaching us something else important here that we must look at. John is letting us know that the Old Testament... The, the Old Testament law was actually a gift of grace as well. Because of what John will say here in John 1.17, right? For the law given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Receiving grace upon grace presumably refers to the grace given to the people of God under the old covenant being added to and surpassed by the grace God gives to his people in the new covenant in Christ. What this does is it suggests that the Old Testament, the law, was a gracious gift. See, we've got to remember that no other nation. We, we studied Amos. Uh, we've been looking at Genesis in our uh, men's and women's Bible study. I mean, we have just seen overwhelmingly true that God's grace was evident in the Old Testament. Amen? We, we have seen that abundantly over and over again. When God gives Israel the good gift of the law, he, he's doing it as a blessing to help them. The law that gave, God gave his people through Moses was good. It served many purposes. We don't have time to get into every purpose today. But it provided protection in many ways. It was a gift of grace that was given to our Old Testament brothers and sisters. Through the law, they saw their need for a Savior. And they also saw the shadows of a Savior. You know, too often people think like, okay, Old Testament God mean, angry, bad. New Testament God, happy, love, joy. Old Testament bad, New Testament good. Listen, God is never changing. God's character has always remained the same. If it doesn't, then guess what? He's no longer God. God has always been fully graceful, fully truthful, fully just, fully righteous, fully wrath, fully love. Truth secured, we can really get this like locked into our theological framework. Then we would really see the things around us differently. We would understand 
the, the world a little bit different. Let's consider the words of David in Psalm 119 for a moment. He says in verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. For I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. Hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. He goes on, and then in 104, he says, Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. See, this is what the Old Testament law should have meant to God's people. And it's not that we can fully fulfill God's righteous law. Jesus makes that clear many times, especially on Sermon on the Mount. But rather, what this allows us to say, when we see the law, we see the law rightly, we say, you know what? I'm not all right. <laughs> see, the law exposes our sin. We, we continually, we, we brush against it. We we hit it up against the law, the commands, the righteous commands. And we say, I am not okay. I'm a sinner. I have broken God's laws. But praise be to God that he sent himself, that he came and sent the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, to die in my stead. To do what I couldn't do, fulfilling every iota of the law, and then dying the death I deserved, and giving me now a chance at new life. Our five-year-old Zion, he's, uh, he started to to kind of get this idea, right, this, this complexity of what the law is meant to do. Uh, recently, uh, he, was get, he had gotten in trouble for something. We were disciplining him, and I can't remember exactly what was going on, but I remember sitting him down, and I'm like, hey, Zion, like, why did you do this, whatever it was? And he looked at me like, as serious as could be, and said, because I'm a sinner, Dad. I'm like, well, <laughs> yep, you're right. <laughs> that, I mean, I was a little, little stunned and shocked for a moment there. I'm like, man, yeah, absolutely. But I paused for a moment, and, and I looked at him, and I said, and so am I. And that's why we need Jesus. That's exactly why we need a Savior. It's because each and every one of us are sinners. The law, the law shows us that. And then Jesus Christ, he answers the full demands of it. It's only in him that we are saved. Furthermore, here John points to the fact that our third observation here is that Jesus is greater than Moses, speaking of the law. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now remember, right? Moses was a superhero. Like, he was the man. Everyone knew the name Moses. He wrote the Torah, he delivered the Israelites out of slavery, uh, he turned sticks into snakes, parted the Red Sea, he talked to God, pretty, pretty big deal. He delivered the Ten Commandments, delivered the law to the people. Like Moses was a big deal. Now, if you haven't noticed, this is the first time, though, that John mentions the name Jesus Christ. In this whole prologue, it's the first time he's actually said the name Jesus Christ. He hasn't used his name one time. It's been the word, right? The light, 
life. He used these other words to then to describe and to talk about who Jesus Christ was. But he's never said Jesus Christ up until this point. Now, one thing that's important to notice here and to just remember is that the name Jesus was a very common name. Uh, Jesus actually was, uh, according to some historical scholars, was like the, the, the top five name of that time, right? You know, it's kind of like, you know, like Mike or like John, right? And no offense to anyone named Mike or John. It's just very common names. Mike Jones, love you, brother. But it's just very common. And so the name Jesus really like had very little significance when someone would say it, right? Like, oh, you're talking about like that Jesus guy, like Mike down the street, you know, it wasn't really a big deal. So the comparison here to Moses, like juggernaut of the faith, to John's reader, and then now Jesus adds in Christ, which means Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. When they're thinking about the Messiah, when John's reader is really, you know, figuring out, like, they know their history, they know what's going on, they're, they're thinking about who's the one that's going to come to deliver us, right? There was actually, uh, some people think that uh, many thought that Moses would return, that he would be reincarnated, and he would come back, and he would deliver his people. So his reader would have thought, like, okay, we're talking about this, like, powerful person, we're talking about this great person, must be Moses. But here John shows the supremacy. Jesus Christ over the superhero, Moses himself. Now I mentioned earlier that the law was given, it was intended to be a good thing, but what I did not mention is what the people had done to the law. They had messed it up, right? One, they obviously couldn't perfectly keep it. We know that. None of us can. But two, in Judaism, the law had become an end in itself. They had created this uh, construct of only fulfilling the law. They, law was then used to oppress people. Uh, they were steeped in hypocrisy. They would pretend like they were fulfilling it on one hand and but then the other hand, they knew that they definitely weren't doing that. The point John is making here can be found in his choice of language as he says, the law was given through Moses, was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So it was given through Moses, but grace and truth comes as a person in and through Jesus Christ. He basically says this existed in the person of Jesus Christ. He possessed it himself because of who he is. So for the first century reader, especially the Jewish reader here, when they read this, they would have immediately been confronted with the fact that Jesus Christ was supremely more valuable than Moses in all regards. John writes that it is because of the fullness of Jesus Christ. It's because of him. It's only because of him that we have anything, that we have grace. The new covenant grace through Christ replaces the old covenant grace that came through the law. So just to simplify this, this teaches us that no matter how great and powerful someone is, even someone as mighty as Moses, each and every person is in need of a Savior. Each and every person needs the fullness of Christ. 
And that grace and truth is exclusively found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Finally, we see here the buttress of these claims. The bookend to this prologue that started with Jesus as God, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in 18, we see that Jesus makes God known. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So this comes on the heels of John's point that Jesus is greater than Moses. And this would bring to mind the episode of where Moses saw God's glory in Exodus 33, 17 through 23. If you have your Bible, turn there with me. Exodus, it's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, front of your Bible. Look at 30, chapter 33. Let's look at verses 17 through 23 here. I want you to see this, right? The Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. Like, like Moses is begging God, show me your glory here. Then 19, and he said, speak God. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. If you remember, Paul picks up that phrase in Romans, speaking of uh, the divine election of those whom God has chosen. And he's picking that up here. Then in verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft on the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So this great man, Moses, he's, he, he's essentially begged God here. He said, show me your glory. Like, like I want to see this. And he's allowed to see some of God, a degree of God's self-revelation, but he is not allowed a complete experience of God, because why? It would kill him, be fatal. Uh, the, the power, remember we talked about this uh, last week, I think it was, God's glory is his holiness on display, his greatness, his, his brightness, his perfection. Our Lord is a consuming fire. Like it's, it's burning with power. He says here, I'm going to walk by, cover you up, and you can see a portion of this. We can also recall the situation in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah seen, sees really like the hymn of the garments of the Lord, and, and he's just so perplexed. He's like, this is it. I'm done. He's met by grace. So the presence of God, knowing God in all of his splendor, 
is something that should cause us to stop in our tracks and worship. My question right here, I want to stop, is how glorious is your God? How big is your God? Is gathering on a Sunday morning a a burden for you to worship your God? Do you choose to, to sleep in rather than be with God's people to worship this God? Do you spend time daily practicing habits of grace, enjoying the splendors of your God. When you're faced with the world's issues and problems, and especially first world problems, does it shatter your existence? Or do you trust in the glories of this God? See, the way you view God will affect how you live. What you believe impacts what you do. And brothers and sisters, church, I want to just encourage you to see God as glorious. To see him as he really is. Then the significance of John 1.18 tells us, too, that Jesus has an unparalleled intimacy with the Father and reveals him in an unprecedented way. John says in verse 18, right, the only begotten God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus Christ The phrase made him known is derived from the same word we get the word exegete or exegesis. So an exegetical sermon would be a sermon that uh, plans to just interpret the text to which we have. So exegete means to explain. It means to interpret. It means to show the true meaning of. So John here is saying that Jesus is God's self-expression, his explanation of himself. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are one. This is Jesus, brothers and sisters. God himself. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. And there is in John the image that as Jesus relates to the Father, so the Christians, those who follow Jesus, can relate to him as well. See, we get access to the creator of the universe. Through Jesus Christ. We get access to the one who knows each and every detail about each and every person, each and every atom, molecule. He knows how gravity works. Anyone explain that? He knows everything. And here John tells us that we get access to God through Christ, because guess what? Jesus is God himself. One commentator puts it like this. The phrase at Jesus' side can be rendered literally in the bosom of Jesus. As Jesus relates to the Father, so the beloved disciple relates to Jesus. Remember, he'll go on, and John actually calls himself the beloved, the one that Jesus loved. He never talks about himself in the first person. 
And it seems to follow from this that as Jesus has revealed the Father, so John has revealed Jesus. So I just want to leave us with a couple of thoughts here. As we continue in this study of Jesus Christ, as we look at his life, his ministry, what he came to accomplish, what he, what he did accomplish, I want you to remember one important key element. God loves you. He loves you. Like he, he loves you so much that he entered into humanity's chaos. See, Christianity is the only religion that what? God comes to man. God comes to man, makes himself known to man. He needed nothing, perfectly happy in the triune relationship, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But in his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his extended relationship to sinners like you and me. And he's revealed himself through the God-man, Jesus Christ. Hebrews clears this up and provides a really good summary here long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world my question for you is is this the Jesus that you know and if you don't know God through Christ, then what is stopping you today? For those that are believers, for my brothers and sisters, for the members of Christ Covenant Fellowship, like I, I pray that as we study this beautiful story of Jesus Christ, the all-sufficient Savior, that we would grow in our love for him and that would compel us to live as ambassadors for who Christ is. That we would share the good news of Christ with our neighbors, co-workers, our friends, our family, whoever given the opportunity with boldness, with zeal, with audacity. Not fearing what people think, not caring about the opposition, or persecutions that may come. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness. Father, I pray that as we continue to study the life, the ministry, the work of Christ, that we would not forget the glory that is found in and through our Savior. Lord, help us to see you as glorious. Help us to be a people that don't take the gathering of the saints to pray, to sing, to hear lightly. But help us to remember that we are in the presence of the Father. Lord, help us to think clearly of Jesus Christ. Help us to communicate clearly the truths of, of Christ. Help us to learn truths of our Savior. And it's in his name we pray.